0: and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I am joined by Monica Belton, who has a master's degree as a social worker and trauma specialist, and is the founder of Reset, Resilient Experiences for Children Exposed to Trauma. She is here with me today to discuss the new horror film starring Janelle Monae, Bellum, written and directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz. Let's get down to it. Like I want to make sure you're actually like feeling good, and
1: I'm feeling good. Good good, good, trip.
0: How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good today. I've been having weird problems sleeping. Thank you. Thank you. Elections. (sighs) But this movie, all my black friends told me that it made them extremely angry, and. It did not disappoint in that respect. So. (laughs) And it maybe made me even more nervous and anxious at night. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't imagine what it's like actually being black and having the experience of this movie and how that would influence everything. Yeah. There
1: were several times during the movie where I had to, well, no, there's one time in particular where the the plot twist came in Mm -hmm. and I stopped the movie (laughs) And I looked up this movie, and I was like, "Whoa, what am I? What? I thought I was in for a horror, right? Yeah. And I, I really had no idea going in what this movie was about. So originally, I was like, okay, it's a slave piece. It's a piece about slavery. Okay. Yada yada yada.' And then when that plot twist came out, and even I was so confused because the cover of the movie, you know, was you know her character now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, so when the movie opened, I was like, "What? Is this See, the-? I." Yeah. Like, I
0: assumed it was going to do something like Kindred. Like, it was an unofficial adaptation of Kindred from the previews, the way the previews looked.
1: I'm telling you, I didn't even watch the previews. Yeah. Okay. Like, I totally, I was like, oh, a new movie with Black people. I'm going to watch it. Like, that's really how blindly I went into it. Wow.
0: That's very blindly.
1: Really, which is how I go into most of my most of the movies I watch. I really did not even understand any of the relevance or the significance of this piece. So when the plot twist came, I I paused the movie and I Googled it. And I was like, who produced this movie? And my, I was like, please let them be black. Please let them be black. Please let them be black. <laughs> because my mind was going in so many different places. <laughs> So then, and even after I saw who the directors were, the writers and the directors, I still had to do some more research. Cause I was like, who is Christopher, Christopher right. Yeah. I was like, who is this man? Cause yeah. he looks like a white person. So what, you know, and then, so doing a little bit more history about who produced the movie, who wrote the movie, where it came from. And then even after, and it was one of those movies you had to watch twice.
0: Yeah, yeah. You absolutely- I I had to watch it twice because you know, like initially I watched it I was extremely angry after I watched it. I was anxious. <laughs> I watched it again this morning, very early this morning, and I was like, okay, I'm in the right frame of mind now. I can handle this. I I I can I can handle this because now I am watching specifically for the turn and for what they're doing, crafting of it and so forth. But ugh okay.
1: I mean, even when Twelve Years a Slave came out, the the I'm not even gonna say political environment environment, the social environment wasn't the way it is now. No. So when no. it came out, it was like, oh, what a nice documentary from a different perspective. Da, 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 da. Uh. But when when I, again when that plot was came and I paused the movie. I had, I, we have a group chat with all my cousins on my father's side. So my, my back side of the family. And I said, have you, ha, so I need somebody to digest this movie with me. And nobody had seen it. So I was like, this is not helpful. And I was like, trigger warning.
0: <laughs> I really, really wish I sort of made the assumption that because it was directed and I mean, co directed and co written by a black man, that it wouldn't have so much slavery torture porn. Right. And I was.
1: <sighs> Which, even though was still minimal compared to a lot of other things. Compared that I've seen.
0: to things like 12 Years a Slave, sure. Right. I mean. <laughs> But even so... They uh, could have put the message across without this oversexualizing it. Exactly. Without over-sexualizing it, yeah. without actually in some way glorifying exactly what should not be glorified within the film.
1: Yes. But it's at the same time... And I don't know...
0: And then visiting the trauma upon the actors who have to do that and live that in their bodies performance. So for did you see the whole,
1: the whole like behind the scenes cast uh, post-production? I didn't. So it was really interesting because that's, that they must've said the word trauma over 80 times. Mm-hmm. And because when I was watching that, that's all I kept thinking. And then even retrospectively, I kept thinking about every movie that was ever made. Um, about being enslaved
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and how that had to be to be treated like a star on set yeah right and then has to transition into this character exactly Exactly. it's
0: horrible but um actually i did an episode with a filmmaker jay jameson he's a writer director who made a short film about this very concept okay called it slave cry and he actually wrote it it for his sister and, oh my God, that film just puts into perspective exactly what the issue is of how you are always forced into these roles that force you to relive this trauma in your body constantly.
1: Well, and that's why, you know, when I ever hear, especially young people, talking about wanting to be actors and actresses, it's always like, how do they give any idea what it is to really to perform, right? But then to hear, to like the post-production interviews, they were all talking about the necessity of going into those characters and and reliving this for the screen. And just for what it's worth, the context of media, for movie, right? Yeah, yeah. So the artistry of it. So how we have this message. So he, he, he started writing the movie, right, after he woke up from a nightmare. Yes, yes. Right? And so this is his craft. This is his art, right? And so I can see where this script came from, the concept came from. And just from their background and from their occupation, I can't think of another way that could have depicted it without almost glorifying it or sensationalizing it because it is a movie, right? right? But on the same token, it also made me, I appreciated it for what it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it was really about the fact that, and even the beginning quote that was by um, yes like William William Faulkner William Faulkner that beginning quote when people think that racism and enslavement is something that's so far in our past, no, baby, it's no. right here, right now. Yep. Yep. And for anybody to think any differently, you no, know, this is a, an awakening. Well for people who, who have the stomach to watch it, it really mm-hmm. is a, an awakening for a lot of white people, mm-hmm. right? To understand that even, even in the reality that enslavement is illegal, that mentality, Ariel, that mentality is still there. I know. I know. And I, I not even jokingly have conversations with my family. So, you know, safe space about how, even though this is not, but I'm telling you, it's my family. I don't have these conversations with my friends or my neighbors or at work, but I have conversations and almost to the effect of there are people who, if somebody said, um, you know what? We really do need free labor to run our country. Da, 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 da. Let's make slavery legal again. There are people who would justify that yeah without absolutely and they're the same people that we work with every day
0: yeah they are i mean octavia butler i mean the parables as far as i'm concerned are not the future they are the now they
1: are the now yeah and i love i did love the way they but i love the way he showed that they were human beings first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just like people who are living in africa yeah. They were living their lives and you had to literally go through a dehumanization process mm-hmm. to obtain to enslave someone. It wasn't something that anybody did willingly or there was no bio- biological yeah. predetermination for your inferiority.
0: When she even says later on, I picked everyone out individually except, except for, you. for you. He picked you. You know, the idea that you were selected for this randomly by this random white woman right. who decides, you know, your fate, whether you live or die in the burn shed. Oh, my God. I, I,
1: <laughs> and you know what else I did appreciate about the film is that it did depict racism as an illness, as a sickness. Yeah. Those people were very sick. And I remember the end scene, we've already cleared the spoilers, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The end scene where if you look closely at the people who were enacting the Civil War and they still had looks of confusion, like, oh, I didn't know there was actual, actually black people in this this reenactment. You know, and to me that signifies the person who fetishizes confederalism, right? Mm -hmm. And thinks it was this this glorious period, but they don't understand the true manifestations of what made the country that at that time. Exactly. And that's what I
0: love about the fact that the whole universe is set within this antebellum Confederate reenactment park. That you have the front part of the park where you've got the tourists and the gift shops and they're all going to what they think is a little battle but what they don't understand is that it's really just a front for enslavement, which is essentially what all of this fetishization right. of this history
1: is. Exactly, and they want to spend all their time and probably major. Like I've known people who do these civil, you know, these civil war reenactments, actually participate in them. Um, I mean, we we have a battlefield here. Yeah, you know, yeah. in Loudoun County, and there is a, so much glorification. I'm, I'm not going to get started on like Confederate flags or, or anything like that, but just the glorification of such a horrific time period.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's also that call out to the monuments too, when she passes right. by that monument to Robert E. Lee. Yeah. You know, Ooh, and that, it's one, like, that one hit. Oh, man. When I saw that, that like, scene hit. after that conversation with J. Jameson about the Confederate monuments, like, I just was like, okay, I have to unpack this. And
1: Monica is just the person to unpack it. With. <laughs> well, cause here's the thing too. And the one thing I did appreciate about Jenna's character. So the white woman, right. Mm-hmm. Who the one? I forget her name in the, in the movie. It's not even important, but it's not even important. Whole <laughs> point being I was, I wanted to see her post production interview. Yeah. So I wanted to know how, because I loved her in, in hunger games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I know she was a little bit crazy, right? So I wanted to understand, how in the hell did you do that? Yeah. How do you do that? And what she talked about was this, Ariel. Follow me on this. Okay. And this... Okay. So, yes. We've all been, for lack of a better term, brainwashed with this idea that slavery is in the past, that enslavement is in the past, racism is in the past, and that there's so much unification that needs to be done, um, to move forward from, from that history. Right. Mm-hmm. But the part that, that I work in that I think that has been ignored for so long is the trauma. Mm-hmm. And what she talked about was her role, her job. So when she went to work every day, her job was to show rip the veins to show the heal, to show what needs to be healed. Huh. And when I think about when she said that, I think about my the older people in my family. And how much of our lives so generations was about keep your head down, keep your mouth shut. Right?
0: Yeah. Because that's
1: that's how we were healing or dealing with the trauma. And you almost have to rip somebody out and real show them what what has happened for them to be able to realize what happened to me. Because how do you heal from it when you pushed it down so much? That's, you know, psychology mm-hmm. 101. When mm-hmm. you push something down, you represses this idea, these memories, this history, and just try to function. It doesn't work that way. You have to say, whoa, this happened. And that happens for people. So, like, IRL, that happens for people when they get flashbacks or they have trouble functioning at work mm-hmm. or trouble in relationships. Okay, what happened? Okay, Black people, we're, you know, functionality is um, being diminished, what happened? You almost have to rip it open and say, look what they did to you. Mm -hmm. And
0: I I think this film does a very good job of that. I mean, one of the things that's really kind of pissed me off about the reactions to this film, I mean, Mm. you've probably seen it has like a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the, the thing that really upsets me is that everyone whose review I read about this is entirely discussing what's wrong with the film's craft. Oh, the cinematography is uneven. There's, you know, there's just a discussion of what's wrong, but not what's right about the ideas and everything that is important about the ideas that everybody needs to be taking from it and moving forward with it. And I don't like that there is so much discussion from white people and so much dismissal of the Black perspective on this film.
1: Because because what are they going to talk about? You can't talk about things you don't understand, right? When we're talking about film critics, Rotten Tomatoes, they don't specialize in racism, they don't specialize in social justice, they don't understand this world, they don't understand that perspective. So yes, if I was, if I could look at it um, objectively like so objectively that I was writing a, a report on it or whatever. And I was talking about the juvenile angles of the perspective, you know, of the, the picking cotton, whatever it was, you know? So the whole perspective is of the film, of the quality of the actors, right? If you look at other films that have been reviewed by popular critics in the past from a white lens, they get it and can comment on it. Yeah. We're, Yes, you should be pissed off because people need to yeah. have another perspective. People yeah. need to become educated. And it
0: and it really frustrates me because I am someone who does come from that background where I am frequently a critic of, you know, all of the artful pieces. And yes, I can tell you, yeah, the cinematography in parts is extremely inconsistent. There are beautiful shots and then there are crappy shots, but you know what? I don't really care because at the end of the day, They're burning cotton. Why are they burning cotton? That makes no sense. I'm
1: thinking about I had to go back and watch that. That's what that because when I watched it the first time, I was like, what what? And then when I watched it again, I was like, because they can't sell cotton. Exactly. America that was picked by enslaved people. (sighs) God. (sighs) And I I do, you know, (sighs) I understand how how people don't. I don't know. It's hard for me to get pissed off at people because I know how good America is at distracting people from what's important. Right? And so you're doing your piece. I'm doing what I can do. We just just keep on doing it. You know? So even in this movie, this piece, people watched it. Right? And so they need a different perspective. That might be step one. People are so deep, so deep in racism that they don't even understand. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they participated in the conversation. But yes, I need some feedback. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They need some sure. feedback.
0: For sure. Because like literally every Black person I have talked to about this film is like, no, this is this is valuable. It makes me yes. extremely angry, but it's valuable. Maybe Kindred did it better in a novel form, but it's valuable and it's important and people should be paying attention. And this has a lot to say about the now.
1: Um, so much. So and, much.
0: You know, and when you think about uh some of the individual pieces that are in there, so like you have the character of Daniel, who's the white guy who's mm. supposedly, you know, oh, yes. going to be, you know, hesitant to be raping and beating this sapphire black woman who's supposed to be serving him sexually. Right. And you know, she treats him gently trying to calm him and treat him like, you know, he's a gentle soul because that's what he's presented as up until that moment. And then he turns on her and that moment of violent rage. What were your reactions?
1: So again, didn't get the first time. So the second time I went, I was able to go back and psychoanalyze everybody. Right. (laughs) And so I'm really thinking about, the mentality of the people who were involved in this. Like, mm-hmm. what, ha- what, what happened to you? So you have the two leaders, the husband and the wife, or whatever the yeah. relationship is. Yeah. And then they entice these people, probably from people who are interested in Civil War reenactments, to come into this village and experience it. I'm wondering if they paid for that experience, or if they were um, indoctrinated into that by, this is what our grandfathers did, or whatever the case is. So I'm looking at him, second time around, thinking, you know better, but there's something there's again, that like that hindered masculinity issue in you that is making you act like this because she challenged him. Right. You're not mm-hmm. like those other monsters. Right. Right. Yes, I am. <laughs> like I'm totally a monster. I'm Let totally me show you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Like you're yeah. not like them. And he was like, I am like them. And that is a pure example of Patriarchy and yes. whatever was instilled in at him in him since birth, mm-hmm. right? Is you cannot be this soft, weak person that is kind to people because that is not how we got here where we are. And when they were marching through, so right before that scene, when they were marching oh my the gosh, torches, the blood and soil.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'll that be honest, that's that
0: point where they are marching and shouting "blood and soil," I was thinking in my head, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! This is too Confederate." There is something just too Confederate about this Confederacy.
1: I thought the same. I thought the same thing. I was like, "That was way too neat, neatly done. Yeah, neatly packaged." Okay, yeah. so they had, and then they cut to the scene where it's "blood and soil" because they could have been saying, like, saying a lot of things, right? They could have been an angry, sweaty mob. But they right. were going through very um, methodically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Everyone had a torch. So you get your torch and you walk through the woods, blood and soil. Right. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole speech that was given in the tent about how they had to secure their way of life. Oh my God. <sighs> we have always owned
0: this land talk about the lies that
1: (laughs) well you know so side note back when i first became angry right and i was looking up it was thanksgiving and i remember looking up like
0: which which first became angry are we talking about i'm talking about
1: 19 20 years old
0: okay and that's the first time you became aware enough to become angry yes
1: okay yes that's a very long story that's way over an hour when i I started to become really aware i remember looking up how different native american people felt about thanksgiving Mm -hmm. because i I remember hearing these things about how it wasn't right something about it wasn't true i was like well let's ask let's ask them and i looked some stuff up and yes some people were like and and Fourth of July also, and different holidays that are very American, right? And how people felt about them. And one of the comments was this, and it actually led into this feed of um, Native Americans who served in the US Armed Forces, right? Mm -hmm. And it led into this this understanding that some people really believe, oh, well, we lost the war. And so I guess it is their land now. But then that just lends me right back to where is the humanity? It's, it's one thing. And I, you know, I, I would never agree with war. That's a whole different topic, but again, it's a whole nother thing when we're looking at people who could murder children, you know, burn villages down, burn crops, starve people cut arms and legs off and not even bat an eye.
2: Yeah. Like
1: that's a whole different world of people mm-hmm. that is lacking humanity and then to claim victory in such a pompous way. Mm-hmm. This is our land.
0: So whether well, or not you want it or not, yeah, how do you how
1: are you proud of that? I mean, I just, it's the American imperialist
0: way, as Eddie Izzard says, "No flag, no country," according to the rules I just made up.
1: You know? right. You're right. Like very classically, depicting this idea that you are glorious just because of who you, who you are. No mm-hmm. mention of how you got there or any, or any regret or any sorrow or any yeah. empathy. Right, right. And that's another huge keyword. So when I do the ally training, sometimes I mention, like I don't do like um, regressive therapy at all, but just the idea. Can, can you explain what regressive therapy is though for listeners who may not know? So people use different techniques to get, to get there. So in general, it's a technique where basically you ask someone to go pretty much back in time and remember um, a time in their life. And people do that really through like guided meditations or hypnosis or suggestions. Um, but there have been lots of studies that reveal that it actually can be very harmful to do that. Um, and fight is fights against our own, our bodies, innate, what is that word? Protective factors, right? Um, our body does this for a reason they you're asking it to break down. So there's different fields of research on whether or not it's effective, but basically regression practices, regression therapy is really about going back to that place.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And going really deep into that place. So not just on a superficial level, they want you to literally feel it, experience it in different parts of your body. And so when I think about, like I have had these thoughts as much as probably any black mother has I can't speak about black fathers but I know I've spoken to black mothers about this thought about what it would feel like to right here right now today have somebody come into your home and take away your children and enslave you. And how if I could sit here and experience that because it has happened to other black people what if that was a white person? What if somebody did that to you? What if somebody hit you in the head with the butt of a shotgun and that was it. You woke up and you were an enslaved person. And that—that that is the empathy. That is the antithesis of war. Mm-hmm. Is how dare we treat other people that way?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So oh, yeah. When I think about that speech, again, so many things in that movie made me sick to my stomach. But that speech, very in particular, was really about that that glorification of we killed and we fought and we broke treaties and now we are here and this is our land and how that feeds into people's minds. Yeah. But it's that line where he
0: says, but this was always, always. our oh, yes. land. Yes. Like it's, you know, it's the cementing of the lie. Like no one was living there. It was just sitting there wide open. Do We went and we found it. And it's like, you know, all this blood that was shed by us for this land, we are not going to take ownership of because it was always ours to have. It really upsets me that so many people don't see it for what it is and sort of assume that because colonialism is out there, racism is okay. Because, you know, America is racist and British imperialism exists and, you know, the two things are equal. And it I know does. that's a conversation for a whole
1: other time, but. But you know what? Again, it's about exposure. Right? Some people never, and I'm very aware of this, since I moved to Virginia, very aware of the fact that there are people in this world who have never talked to a Black person. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're living in the, and it's the same thing for, like, I talked to a woman yesterday who was born and raised in Jamaica, Mm -hmm. right? They don't have these conversations about race all the time, not because racism doesn't exist, but because they don't associate on that level. Hmm. So if you're around nothing but white people, you have no reason to associate on that level. And when you hear things happening in the news in other places, it really is a foreign concept. Like, it does not digest in your brain the way it does when you've experienced it or even care about a black person Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know so it's one it's one this it's it's when i have friends and family who are still under questioning like what what is about this whole race race thing and and what do you think about this for them to have known me and cared about a black person and still not get it is a whole different topic Mm-hmm. I don't forgive people because if you're in this country, yada, yada, but they've been taught in school from their families, from what it's such an isolated experience. You're not giving them that? Don't give it that.
0: Oh, well, I mean, in the state of Virginia, I was just going to say, in the state of Virginia, it's a particularly thorny issue about education.
1: I mean- oh, well, very aware of that. I mean, our governor is, and I will say, from what I know, he's doing his part. To And I don't know how far into it is, but creating this committee that says, let's look at this. Let's look at this fourth and 11th grade curriculum.
0: Please, can we? Because I spent, I mean, I said this on the Jay Jameson episode, but I spent way more time on the Battle of Antietam than I did on the 60s in my AP U.S. history class.
1: My son, so as a parent, my son's in fifth grade. I was cleaning up his books from last year, his notebooks. First thing I opened up, Nat Turner was a slave who... Are you serious? This is the 1920 school year. And, you know, my my poor children, they probably know way more than they should about race and racism. Um, but thank God that they have me, right? I'm thinking about the white children who read that. Nat Turner was a slave who... No, baby. Nat Turner was a person who... You know, and it's just, I remember back when, when IDEA started having this campaign about changing the language about disabled person, a person with disabilities, I don't care what anybody says, that changed, it changed the game. Hmm. It changed the game because I was going to um, meetings where we're talking about people with disabilities and people, no, oh, no, 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 it's people with disabilities, not disabled person. It's person with dyslexia, not dyslexic. It mm-hmm. makes people stop and give pause to what is coming out of your mouth and what's going on in your brain. Etymology, I used to, I used to scoff at etymology, like da, da 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 but now I see the significance. And it really, you know, when I understand now, and I always say this to people, reha- language and vocabulary is so important.
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: it does meld mindsets so yes i think that's important and so back to the speech that the man was giving in the tent that's exactly the language and the vocabulary the whole entire context and i couldn't help i was looking around at the men who were at the table like what got you here you know yeah and what did
0: what did you think in terms of, like, your general thoughts on that? My
1: general thoughts was that it was some type of, like, family tradition. Mm -hmm. Maybe, like, people's grandfathers participated in this, and so they felt pressure to do that somehow. So you didn't feel
0: like this was meant to be a new thing that had come up?
1: I felt like it had to be something that was ongoing. Okay. I felt like it had to be. Be kept secret down there for so long. Because I feel like if it was new they would get something wrong. Mm. Right? Like it's to dehuman that is not to dehumanize people, you have to study that.
0: Well, obviously, I mean well, this was another thing I kept thinking about while I was watching the movie. I kept thinking about um my my mind kept going back to different forms of dehumanization that have uh-huh. existed across the centuries and how, you know, like obviously the gas chamber idea came into my head and the Nazis and how the Nazis really incorporated a lot of ideas that uh, America had about racism and so forth and all of the laws of segregation and then applying them to the Jews in Europe And then how that also eventually gave rise to the idea that, oh, well, you know, maybe we can take this a step further with our final solution, right you know? And the idea that, you know, that probably wasn't a step too far removed from what they were doing in the days of slavery. And that, you know, basically every atrocity committed is just one step away from America. Like America is the progenitor of a lot of the atrocities that we would like to distance ourselves from.
1: So, yes. And, you know, when I think about, you, know, you had mentioned England, but like all of the, the, origination, the origin of the separating people by races really began mm-hmm. in Spain. And it began in the Spanish Inquisition. That's true. When the Moors and the Jews were deemed unworthy to be Christian. Um, so then they had the, what do they call them? The, the, the priests who went around determining whether the, the, the inquisitor, inquisitor. Yeah. the inquisitor would go around. And if you weren't Christian enough or you weren't able to be Christian enough, right, you were tortured to death um, unless you proclaimed Christianity. And even then you were tortured to death. So when I think about that when you look at really this classification of humans in history so much was done in that 15th century that laid this landscape for i am better than them and i had to find out a way to secure my power and wealth
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right had to secure simultaneously
0: away. the church was able to do that and to manipulate what was happening to its own gain.
1: Exactly. And then people very well fell in line, just like in the movie. Yeah. yeah. They fell in line for fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one part in there where Janelle's character was talking to um Kiersey's character. So the woman who came in and mm-hmm. she was pregnant, and she, Kiersey said to her you think being strong is being, you think being quiet is being strong. Mm -hmm. And Janelle was telling her, you have to, you have to be quiet. We're going to figure this out, but you have to be quiet. Just shut up. And Kirsten's character was not, was not having that. She was fighting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, again, we're talking about, we're talking about trauma. We're talking about that sense of survival. All your safety is gone. What is your psyche and your physical body doing to survive? And all that Kiersey's character's body could do was fight. It wasn't right. in her just going right. to go into the withdrawal. She right. may have already been there, so I'm telling you, in her life is never going back. And her interactions with Janelle saying you have to be quiet fueled the fueled it even more, fueled her fight even more. Yeah. To the point where she ended up, you know, committing suicide rather than um play along with her with their game.
0: Yeah. And it, it's interesting in this film how um, that whole fight or flight reaction plays out. Um, yes, you know, and the the whole idea that uh, comes up. I'm I'm sorry, I keep bringing up Octavia Butler, but she's just a genius. I can't help it. she is. Um, she is. But uh, you know, the whole idea that comes up in Kindred, where she says. You know, it it comes out so quickly, and I think maybe one of her first scenes where she's back in the past in slavery, and she's she suddenly comes to the realization that slavery was never a choice, it was never about choosing to be treated one way or not letting people treat you a certain way because you ultimately have absolutely no agency. All of that is taken away from you. And the way that exactly. you don't necessarily even understand exactly. what that concept even is. And it seems like Kiersey Clemens is fighting against that concept and doesn't even understand what that is in that sequence.
1: And again, when you when I watched it again the second time, right? I remember when she, when she asked the first time, she's like, what is this? What is this place? And I was like, what, why is she asking that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It made no sense to me the first time I watched. Right.
1: I was like, what is, what is she talking about? It's the South, obviously. And you know, so it's interesting too, when they came up on that wagon to the plantation, they were already dirty and bruised. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were just kidnapped and taken there. So right. there was, again, there, there is a process a that process. they are going through. So in Ghana, in the, um, in the tunnel that people pass, you know, the passage, in that prison that is there, the people from Africa were actually detained there intentionally for up to, th- for three weeks to three months, if not even longer at a time, before they were even put on a ship. So by the time they got to the ship, they were just so happy to see sunlight. That was enough for them. There was no windows. They don't know whether or not it's night. Or, I mean, for, for weeks and months at a time in this, in this, in the jail cells.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: You can imagine what that does to a person,
0: yeah. right?
1: And then to think you're going on a ship somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in, in, in a, tra- in a severely traumatized mind already, mm-hmm. what that looks like. you coming out of there ready to fight? You know, it would be, it would be be impossible to think that. Yeah. There's a study that was done and I feel like I had it written down somewhere, but the study basically revealed because you were talking earlier about um, different time periods when people were enslaved and there was a study done or a paper done that depicted the four, there's four distinct differences between Slaves, in the historical sense, in the Western culture, Mm
2: -hmm. in the
1: European culture, versus people who were enslaved, who were Native American or Black in the Americas. Okay. So. I'd be very interested in this. So, (laughs) traditionally, yes, there were slaves in other countries, in other time periods. And it was very normally accepted but calling someone a slave back then was very much like calling someone a peasant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So you were, you, you worked for nothing. You worked for bread. You worked for whatever your family. That was just the status of your family. And that's just, that was what was called a slave. So people using that to justify enslavement of a person who was not a slave is totally different. So here are the four things, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is um, displacement. So people who are enslaved are removed from where they were living and removed from their families. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: People who were slaves in the historical sense always lived with their families. Their whole families were slaves, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, The other one was they were unable to leave the place where they worked. So people who were enslaved were confined to the plantation,
2: Mm.
1: to the, the ship. Mm -hmm. They were not allowed to leave. Versus a slave who, it's it's so interesting, again, language, right? Yeah. yeah. Versus a slave who was just a slave. Um, They were allowed to travel and go if you wanted to. Good luck out there. Otherwise, this is just your way of life. The other one was a use of violence or threats of violence for compliance.
2: Hmm.
1: You have to, when you're enslaving a person, you have to, there's no escape from violence. That's how we do it. That's how it's mm-hmm. done. Right.
2: Yeah. We,
1: I didn't do that, but that's how it's done. Again, the dehumanization, the fear, the, um, again, that fear, that trigger response to fight flight or withdrawal. Cause they wanted them in the, in the withdrawal, right. Mm-hmm. They wanted shut down. So that use of violence. And then the last one is no payment. When you are a peasant, like slave, you got maybe nothing, but it was something that was what you lived on. That's what how what you mm-hmm. fed your young children. You provided for your young children,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? When you were enslaved, if you if you were lucky enough to have the children on the same plantation as you, you didn't provide for them. They right. worked and they got right. their their bread and beans from the the masters.
0: Yeah. So and that's
1: four very distinct differences between those historically slave historical slaves versus enslaving a person when people
0: ask this incredibly naive question, if you could go back in time to any period in history, which one would you go to? Ugh. This film is the answer for anyone who ever thought that was a fun question to ask and not at all racially loaded or problematic at all.
1: Well, and you even think about how how much Black people try to get along and assimilate. How many times is a Black parent have you heard your school is doing Decades Day? And you're oh like, my god, great!" Why don't we go get you a, a whatever they call it, a poodle skirt, Ugh. you know, whatever? And knowing damn well the '50s were not a good time, right, for black people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, we want to play along because that's what the, you know. You you want to be a good student, keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, and don't cause any problems. Um, is what is what we're, we're taught, right? So we go out and we get the poodle skirts but here we are in 2020 and kids know now they know Mm -hmm. right so the so the kids are the ones saying decades day i don't want to go to no decades day but i will i did read that in your notes and i do want to answer that question yeah please if i could go back to any period of time it would be 9,000 bce anywhere between fire (laughs) And the birth of agriculture. (laughs) Anytime then when people were just hunting and gathering, chilling, worshiping the moon, that sounds like a good place to be. Yeah, that would probably be a great time. You know, there's an article. Are you familiar with the article Agriculture, the worst mistake in human history? Yes. Yes. That is a good article. (laughs) And I keep thinking about like, is that when people started saying? This is my land and we're going to fight. It's very possible.
0: It was. And I've actually like drawn that into conversations about Jerusalem, actually, Hmm. uh, because that's one of the biggest obvious land disputes in the world. Right. Has been, you know, over. Right. uh, Certain specific sites and land ownership as a concept has been not the greatest
1: thing. And are you still waiting for your 40 acres and a mule? I'm still waiting. And I actually read where that was. So it wasn't in the Constitution. Was it in the Constitution? I read an article the other day about it that a couple people did get their 40 acres and a mule. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It was about seven people in Virginia and South Carolina who got their 40 acres and a mule.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: I'm pissed about it. (sighs) Where's mine? I'll say Seriously. I'll
0: take an acre. I mean, with interest, with interest, right?
1: With interest. But you know what? It's not theirs to give.
0: No, it's not. So,
1: there's It that. never
0: was in the first place. So. Right.
1: So then there's that. Because remember, like, I'm half Puerto Rican and, well, you know, I'm half indigenous. The Taino tribe of Puerto Rico. Um, and thinking about the battle cries of my people from, from that side of my family. You know, talking about these people, giving those people 40 acres and a, you know, people have these conversations about talking about racism is divisive. The only thing that people is divisive to are people who are racist. Exactly. You know, so especially especially in this Black Lives Matter movement, we see people who are educated and in the know and aware who are Hispanic, Latin, who identify as Hispanic or Latinx, Indigenous, Asian people are saying black lives matter because they, you know, they're understanding this concept now, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. This concept of how it is about people of color and white supremacy mm-hmm. It's really what this is about. It is and, right. And so I don't know that I would ever have those conversations about who's, you know, who's given land to who. Um, but I do know like in the beginning of all my conversations now, I like to do a land acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. and even in doing that it again language and context it makes people think for a second i wonder who did live here before me i wonder who i bought this land from i wonder who they got the land power and wealth Mm -hmm. they took it because they could and they were good at it and then they owned it and they sold it to whoever who sold it to whoever there's land and i'm sure you're very well aware of this there's land in virginia who is who's not even two owners away from the queen of england i yeah i know unfortunately <laughs> that blows my mind. i was on somebody's a couple years ago you know through baseball or whatever somebody was having a baseball party at their house and they were the third owners of 300 acres of land in northern virginia since the queen of england mm-hmm. i mean wow And yeah. then you just look around and you see all the, the ghosts of Native Americans running around.
0: <laughs> it's, oh amazing. it's amazing. It's amazing. Mean, it is. And it's also deeply saddening. I mean, you, you also look at the film and you notice that in the film, the, the one man who insisted on enslaving Janelle Monet's character mm is actually referred to at the end of the film as Senator Denton. And so you get the, that you didn't catch that. I didn't so, catch that. So there's this immediate implication of the current political system. Wow. Wrapped up in all of this that happens I mean, at that yes. moment.
1: And why did he chose her? He chose her because of her power. Yeah. Because she's she a powerful to-
0: black woman.
1: Yeah. You have to put her in her place, right? She was saying too much. And he wanted to shut her up. Right. And even, so even after this, I mean, you have to think about the amount of bravery that it would take to continue with her work. Not to mention all the therapy that she's going to need. But that's, where's the humanity in any of this? You know? And again, thinking about those men at the table. Right. Right, they're uh, they're clearly not getting paid cuz I imagine keeping a a secret functioning like that costs a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not being paid to be there. So why are what what did you think about why those why they were there? What went through your mind? See,
0: like what went through my mind is that, you know, maybe this is actually when as soon as I heard that comment. I mean, maybe it's because I watch everything with subtitles because I'm a little bit going deaf, but um, when I was watching and I saw that reference to Senator Denton, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Hmm. And I suddenly was like, oh my God, what if this is saying that this is like some sort of political amusement park?
1: People were too young though. All of the all of the That's the true Federal Army people, they were all very young. That's true, but and maybe was, they
0: were the like the new neocon generation or something. Maybe I don't know. That was my theory. That that was just what thrid, flitted through my head.
1: On and the second and even if there viewing. were some more some older established people there, they definitely didn't focus in on them. No, I didn't no, they see didn't. them as part of it. I saw the young soldiers, which made me think that that is something like a rite of passage almost that people send their children to. That's why I was thinking like a generational. But Dang. I like
0: I like that idea. I like that interpretation of it because I think that makes it a more interesting film, the idea that it has this actual historical link to the past. Mm-hmm. And that it is a revisited generational trauma that keeps renewing year after year after year.
1: Because I mean that it's it's really gotta be very intricate, intricate, right? So the second mm-hmm. time around, I was looking at the clothing, right? I was looking mm-hmm. at the field, like how mm-hmm. warm was that field? It was How big of an area can you actually have this area? Right, in? right. Right? So I was thinking about how often that cotton was farmed, they burn it and then they grow it. And, you know, it was, that's what I was, it's like how much work they must have put into maintaining, a, not that I'm giving them any credit, but like how much work they had to get into maintaining a place like this. Yeah. Who sewed those, those, those costumes together? Yeah. You know? Now, I
0: hate to say this, but I have actually heard people lecture on the topic of how torturers have been torturing themselves to torture other people.
1: It's lovely. And That's- it's like, <laughs>
0: God. well, that uh, doesn't really put it in the right perspective exactly. I mean, it's sort of like a, I mean, it is a form of masochism to be visiting torture upon other people. Right. I mean, But at the same time, it's like that doesn't matter because you're not the one who's going through the trauma. It's the other person going through the trauma.
1: Right. But also that's what I was reflecting on the entire movie when I saw it the second time is the sickness Mm -hmm. of the lead man and the lead woman. Yeah. Right? So whatever for them even to reenact this, like how much pleasure can you get in that? You could be sitting at home watching Netflix. Right. Like everybody else. But instead they choose to partake in it's Like what kind of stuff? That's a sickness. to be their daughter. Right? Yeah. Right.
0: Right. And the fact that people would voluntarily want to be doing this and basically be serial killers.
1: Yes. Very very much so.
0: And... You know, I mean, Ooh. one of the scariest things for a lot of people is that mental illness is not actually related to the people who are serial killers. Right. I mean, it is a disease. Racism but. is certainly a disease, but I just want to make sure that our listeners understand oh, sure. we're not saying it's a mental illness. We're not saying at all. That it's, you know, really something that affects,
1: that infects their actions when I say their actions are sick, definitely not trying to diagnose them by any chance. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I am saying is that I do think that some type of mental illness has to be a play for them to even engage in that type of, that line of thinking, because it really is an absence of reality. Right. But again, it's what was taught. What was you know, the Kool-Aid we've all been drinking. I hate using that analogy. Cause that's not correct. But but, but I'm you know, speaking very specifically about the fact that something has happened to these people for them to feel so inferior, so inadequate, so um, demasculated that they have to do this. Right. Something has happened to them. I remember the, the, almost to the end scene where the two men were walking next to the cabins, so, right? So they found, mm-hmm. they were drunk mm-hmm. and they found the cell phone. Like, is this yeah. your cell phone? And then the guy said, um, called him Daniel. He said, "You know, I'm not supposed to call me that, right?" Kind of like broke into that fourth wall about like how to understand that they were also very much playing this game.
0: Right, right,
1: right. Which also led me to like you were saying like how, like who would want to do this? Right, right. And it's almost like they had to do it. I would hope <laughs> that something was going on in their lives where it was almost an obligation or a duty rather than a desire with the exception of the two lead people. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be an overseer to 2020, thinking about being an overseer, thinking about being an overseer that as soon as that came out of my mouth, my immediate officer went to officer. Right. Uh Yeah. And who wants to do that? Who wants to continue to uphold white supremacy? Exactly. So I guess it isn't too far off to think, There might be cool people out there who want to play an overseer.
0: Yeah. It's not too far off. Not too far off. And, you know, and it's funny because like uh, there's a, an excellent. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. There's an excellent comic book series called excellence that I've reviewed (laughs) uh, for comics bookcase. And there is omniscient character in it who is sort of the all-seeing eye of Sauron is called the overseer in it oh, okay. for you know pretty clear reasons but basically everyone who is represented as a representative of the overseer is essentially a CEO of some major corporation hmm. and so it's <laughs> another interesting way of looking at the concept of the overseer to my mind to choose to put yourself in that role of punisher on the streets that is a form of wanting to be an
1: overseer and so i know very specifically and they could be lying i don't know the black officers right who mm-hmm. became black officers because they wanted to be the nice guy right yeah and then but it's such it's one thing to to get that and once you get in in it And you see what's going on Mm -hmm. and you stay in it. That's a whole different story. It is. And you don't say anything because of fear of your reputation, of your job security. Mm -hmm. Since the murder of George Floyd, I wish I had the statistics, but I wonder how many officers have quit. Because I know that there have been some. Yeah. Who have quit saying we don't stand for this.
0: Yeah. I really don't
1: know. There was even um a film or you know a quick video on social media of an officer taking off his gear and handing it to somebody and walking walking with the um with the marchers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've I've she seen didn't several of hated. those. I mean, in Manassas, even which is very close to where I live, um, they actually all of the police actually marched with the protesters. Yeah. Um, which was, I thought, you know, really nice. But yeah. then in another part of Manassas, they shot rubber bullets into the crowd. Yeah. You know, and it's like, there's there's no cohesion within a police unit, within, you know, one township.
1: Now does so- Manassas have a sheriff's office or do they have a police station?
0: They have a police station. Police,
1: a police force. Because one thing I will say is all of the events that I've been, to in loudon sometimes there are no officers the sheriff sheriff's officers there and if they are they're stopping traffic for us to walk through
2: huh
1: i will say that so and i've never felt because of course the first one i was scared i had my backpack with my milk in it like i don't know what i was doing (laughs) i was like i'm going out oh man um but it was nothing it was we had a little confrontation um from the police But they very quickly realized that was dumb, I guess. And they went back (laughs) behind their building and they sat there because, because it was really a bunch of really young people and they just were angry. Yeah. And they wanted to stand on on the parkway and yell and be heard and people honk, but they needed that affirmation, people honking and, and, you know, throwing the fist up out the window, black lives matter. They needed that. Mm -hmm. And the sheriff office let them have it, you know? Um, And that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) was a lot to say about the sheriff's (laughs) office. But from my experience with Black Lives Matter here, they really have been supportive. And I don't know. I know there's so many things to talk about here with with Black Lives Matter. But um, that has been my experience. I've been to quite a few events.
0: Well, I think that's wonderful that that's been true for you. I, I've just always been so sad that I haven't been able to go out and participate in Black Lives Matter events personally just because of my disabilities. And...
1: But everybody's doing their what they can. Yeah. I if, know. If they want to. I know. You know what was interesting, Ariel? What? So when they moved the detainees, i.e. asylum see- seekers, mm-hmm. to Virginia. You remember when that was happening and yeah. they were holding the kids up in the... In the hotels, mm-hmm. and people were going out and protesting, there wasn't enough people there. And that is the type of thing. That is a type of situation that scares me. So when I'm in, in situations like that that are really happening, mm-hmm. people, human beings, are being detained for. Wanting to be free, <laughs> yeah, or wanting to earn money, or wanting to feed their kids, right? They're literally being detained, and people aren't people aren't doing anything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And when stuff like that is happening, like for real, makes movies like this even more important. It
0: does. It because
1: really what does. Would you, if you found out this was really happening, so let's say Janelle's character got out of there, she called the police. But which is really interesting too. When the police came up with their sirens, at oh the my end,
0: God. How, it was how, a how, get out
1: situation for me. I was like, what is going to happen? I was right. I was waiting for the credits to roll to see if it was over or say were going to put her back in. Yeah. Right. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to get in trouble for killing this guy. And it was, you know, it was, that was too much. In the black culture, we use humor for a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of Get Out, I mean, Whenever somebody made a cup of coffee, be like, careful, you go up to the sunken place. You know, whatever. Yeah. But this movie was, and there's nothing to laugh about.
0: Oh, no. There is nothing. There is
1: nothing. And I, I'm like the comedian in our family. I can go off. I found nothing to laugh about. And there's nothing funny. And that is saying a lot. Nothing was funny about this. Not even. and Not even an Gabourey
0: of... Sidibe? sending back the, oh well yeah, she was, the vodka cran
1: right and she was you know very intentionally funny yeah um her character was awesome
0: and again white people hated her character can i also say this like i got so what did they up. say they were like oh she was just unfunny she was bitchy she was you know she was a black queen and they didn't like it apparently that was a problem i'm like are you kidding me you see this character be white all the time what is wrong with it all the time what what is wrong with there being a black queen who knows her own worth and
1: who demands
0: that she be treated appropriately
1: and then in the friendship too you know they had the one white friend yeah and of course who who loved them yeah And then, of
0: course, you, you do have the bits of dialogue that prove that she's being treated differently from the other two. Right. And, you know, and it was a great example to me that they have a white ally in their lives who gets it, who loves them, who they love, and who also can sometimes demonstrate white privilege right before their eyes. That she right. herself is unaware of. And I thought that was great. I thought that was actually a nuanced portrayal that I have been looking for.
1: Yes. You're right, because in other contexts, it almost seems satirical. Yeah. You know, when you have, like, the white characters going, yes, girl! You know, and using all this this vernacular yeah. that they weren't owning, right? Yeah. They, yeah, you know, that's, that's very true. And then you saw in the movie, too, so I, I think um, her character also... Not only was she self-confident, but she had to demand to be treated well, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is another experience that embodies Black women. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you would just take the table they give you or take the drink they give you. Exactly. Then you're, nev- then you're never going to get the drink you deserve for the table right. you deserve. It just right. doesn't happen. Right. That's so true. I guess they didn't like that. No, I don't think they did
0: and i don't I don't think that people necessarily understand what makes their reaction so different. I also am going to say, I think her size might play a role in how people read her performance as well. Sure. Like, like, you know, oh, she's a larger woman. She should be grateful for whatever attention she gets. Yes i'm not even kidding this Uh, white male gaze is totally at play in my opinion anyway Uh, i'm sorry sorry. i have to react against the critics a little here because like it just pisses me off
1: so well no especially if they're if that's if that's their narrative it needs to be it needs to be outed that's ridiculous yeah but i mean how american of it i wouldn't think i wouldn't expect anything (laughs) different i wouldn't expect (laughs) anything different i really wouldn't fine but i i loved
0: gabrielle Sidibe in this in this i loved that you know you had a scene with a white yoga teacher and you know the black women are just there doing their thing and it's like bye
1: and bye. that i did take note of that even the first time how she was there working for her you know yeah. Yeah. Coming in, coming in, doing a house call for her. I need my yoga. Okay, fine. She comes in, and she does her yoga for her, and then she leaves. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. You know, I, I did take note of that the first time. Like, okay, of course, this was after the plot twist has already occurred. Right. So now, right. I'm paying attention. Yeah. Now I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. And then I'm looking for those things. Yeah.
0: yeah. But it's it's interesting though because it was sort of like. Wow, I can see how this is going to outrage people who really don't think that Black people belong in spaces where they are affluent and powerful. Right. And, you know, always want to have this narrative of, you know.
1: And even when she was at the hotel, she had she was paying for this hotel, had this little fancy room, and she went to go make the reservation, and she was completely ignored by the front Oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then to think when she called, if she had signified that the woman who asked for the table was black and that was a table they reserved for her with yeah. a table back by the kitchen. Right. You no, know, and that stuff happens. Yeah. That stuff happens. Yes. I have walked out of more than one restaurant with my children. Um, <sighs> and because we had to demand to be equally treated or treated respectfully. Mm you know, and it gets, it, it bees like that sometimes. But I mean,
0: how often do you find yourself, you know, grinning and bearing it versus demanding the respect that you deserve?
1: Well, at least 40 hours a week. (laughs) 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 And probably that's about it. Anytime outside of that, um, I do demand respect. And so I was doing a podcast last night and somebody had asked me, where do we start with our children?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my answer was start with melanin. Once a black or indigenous child knows who they are, they can proceed through this world with a different context. Right, so if I wasn't a single mother with two kids, my life, my vote, my my actions would probably be different, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of what I do is out of survival, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm very aware. Thankfully, I'm very aware of the psyche in which I function. But I wasn't always like that. But I'm very aware of the psyche in which I function, and um, you know, I give myself lenience for that. You know, good job,
0: Monica. You're doing it. Doing you are it. doing it. Um, you are amazing.
1: But, I, well, not. I, I wasn't asking for kudos. <laughs> I'm well, I am
0: telling you you're amazing. I have to cheer
1: myself up. I because... know you
0: cheer yourself up, but I'm <laughs> also going to cheer you up by telling you you're amazing. Because oh. you deserve all the affirmation you can
1: get. I, you're very genuine. and I appreciate that. Absolutely.
0: But, um. But no, I, I think it's wonderful, the work that you're doing. And I'm just Thank sad you. that you have to grin and bear it so much of your
1: time. And... Just really thinking about, you know, context is what I live. you know, it's, it's, it's context, right? So like even thinking, I talked to, you know, this is things I, my, my kids are so unfortunate to have a social worker mother. Cause you know, I talk to them all the time about ideas of success and ideas of happiness. And what that all means, you know? And the importance of present moment experiences. And I live in that mantras. Like, I don't just talk about it. I live in it, you know? So it's like, even in my Grin and Barrett moments, I'm glad and grateful for where I am. And I'm also very aware of where I am and the psyche of people around me. And I don't blame. And I, I think I intentionally tried not to get angry because I have so much. People, you know, my kids will never tell you I'm a nice person, and essentially, sometimes I'm not. But I have, I have to, you know, I have to have a sense of forgiveness for people really being brought up a certain way and not understanding his. I didn't understand history until I went out and learned it for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, people who really think at 35 years old that Columbus discovered this country, you know, if you really think that I feel bad for you, I feel bad for you. If you really think that a group of people because of the color of their skin are act a certain way, I feel bad for you. You are so ignorant. Mm -hmm. I would never entrust you with my children or my money or my whatever.
0: Or at least you'd like to think that. Sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes I don't have a choice. I mean, really, when it comes to the education of your children.
1: Oh, they hear from me.
0: (laughs) No, but that's, that's a good thing that they hear from you. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you always have complete control over.
1: Oh, absolutely not. But and so one of the perks, I guess, of digital learning is that we hear everything. That's true. So when I hear something I don't like, I mute that and say, come here, let me tell you the truth. It's amazing. I want, I really, (laughs) there's not a whole lot of conversation, at least where I live with Black parents and about what we're hearing, but it doesn't surprise me at all. But in a way, I still am taken aback by the frequency of the blatant supremacist thinking that people are just not aware of.
0: What what Even, would you say is the most common thread of it? Oh
1: gosh. First of all, okay, so there's a lot. I'm going to just start with cameras on in the first place. The expectation and the pressure to put a camera on. Do they not understand that when you are on Zoom or on Google Meet, it looks like everyone is looking at you, mm-hmm. and when you're the only black kid in the class, mm-hmm. that is not a good feeling. Yeah, and then when how that feels to a child when the teacher says something like get your mom and dad to go and there's no dad at home go ask your mom and dad or when they're saying things like oh, look hello friends look at, these are not friends you have to you, You're what kind of warped it, warped um uh mentality is that to think that these are all your friends don't call them that this is not a game you know <laughs> you know we have to distinguish them that's why later on in life When these kids are in middle school, we have to redefine for them what a positive friend is and what a negative friend is, and not everybody's your friend. You know, we have to reevaluate people based on their character and content, base rather than whether they're in your classroom.
0: Right.
1: But even in just that, you know, the, the incidences with the oh gosh, it's ever it's so pervasive, the language that's used in word problems, the book selection that the librarian chooses to highlight. Like it's, it's, it's constant. Mm. It's constant. The difference is, so I have my son's counselor on speed dial. (laughs) (laughs) The difference is they listen and things change, but we have to be aware. There are people, white people who are in our schools. So we don't have full control, but if we are aware of something and bring it to somebody's attention, there are people listening, and they will have converse unco- those uncomfortable conversations. That's great. Well, they're not comfortable for us. They're uncomfortable for them or the person receiving them. But things, and really depends on where you are. I just want to make sure. to <laughs> Yeah, we are very fortunate. When my, my younger son is in school, we are very fortunate to have that experience. And he's there on special permission and have their kind of response there that we have. But that, wow. doesn't, that doesn't stop us from happening, right? No, of course not. It's and, and there's no other uh, people don't want to say it, but that you know, school is based in white supremacy, just like tying it all together. Like, I'm just thinking about you know, we, we started talking about this in reference to the mentality of the people who had joined,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so the, the, the little soldier army man and the mentality of people who just thought they were better than or, or fed into, and it's just like you know, and I was just tying that together with. The people who are being held in the detentions right now, and yeah. how we—I mean, even something as small as bringing awareness, a post on Facebook, a post on Instagram, having a conversation about it—like people need to know what is happening, right? Yeah, you can't get them down, down there and protest. No, and the problem is, Ariel. What we're literally what we're saying is that the lack of empathy is because if you have never known and loved or cared about somebody who was from another country even Mm -hmm. then all you know is what you've been exposed to which are the lies most likely some of it's true (laughs) but so how why would you care if you don't have that empathy in you these are the people who aren't doing anything that's why conversations are so important because if you now know a monica right and Monica not only is Black and Indigenous, but Monica is also affected by racism, affected by oppression, you know, then when you hear things like oppression, you think Monica and then you care. <laughs> but it really is about exposure. I mean, I've just met and known so many people who do not have Black friends, or they think they have a Black friend. Yeah. And they don't. Because um, I always and see they- people say,
0: well, and they actually did a a fantastic segment on Code Switch about this. Oh, actually, yes. That for, said, for every
1: white person that says I have a black friend, there's a black person who says I have a I have a racist friend.
0: Well, and additionally, like they found that at first, they started with how it starts in schools and mm-hmm. how uh, whenever there are. Uh, whenever there's a situation where all the black kids are sitting together in the cafeteria, sure, where it's always blamed on the black kids for not reaching out and going to sit at other people's tables, rather right. than, you know, it's the white kids' fault for not reaching out to them. And there's that phenomenon only ever happens when you have a lack of equity within the school. And oh no, doubt feeling of lack of safety within those schools. And they found yeah. that that perpetuates the cycle of friendship as it happens cross-racially over time. But they found that Black students have to learn to be conversant in cross-racial friendships much Absolutely. more than white students ever have to. Only one in nine white people that they surveyed actually had a black person who was close enough to be a part of their
1: wedding. I've been to more than one wedding where I was the only black person. That's insane. Only black person. And I the last one I went to, I was also the only one in a red dress. That was a bad call. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody thought I was there to perform. It was I was I was looking amazing. But everybody thought I was a performer for the wedding.
0: Oh my, god. oh my god. Oh my god. So it was like one in nine for um white people who had a black friend who would come to their wedding. And then it was like 60 percent of black people had a white friend who would yes. come to their
1: wedding. Yeah. If I, not I'm, more. I think I've seen that. Yes.
0: And it it's like this is appalling we are expecting black people to be constantly conversant in code switching and yet white people are never really asked by anything within society to ever make the attempt to be around someone who is not exactly like you in some way
1: and you know when you when you tie it back to like really early like school right mm-hmm. talking about a institution that does not teach the value of other cultures and other ways of thinking, Mm -hmm. right? So already when you have a chance for a break, you have recess, you have lunch, and you have people who don't value you, right? They value this this group of people at this table, so that's where they're going to go. So yeah, I mean, there's literally a whole book about it, right?
0: And then you have like the marginalization that happens within the classroom on a regular basis, like... You know, whenever you teach about the Civil War and then suddenly like, oh, hey, you're a Black kid in my class. You stand up and represent all of Black America for me. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Like that's not othering kids and setting them apart.
1: And not to mention, the next day it's a new, it's a new topic. Yeah. Like, that's all we have to say about that. Moving on. Right. Right. To the 60s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God! No, I don't, don't even know. They
1: just don't. Uh, don't. They probably don't even talk about the '60s. But I mean, I know people who would consider me their friend that definitely have ex- have um perpetuated racism. That's the word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who yeah. definitely have perpetuated racism and white supremacist thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And will argue with me about it. And I don't mm-hmm. engage in a lot of those unless I really give a crap, you know, and will argue with me about like what, white privilege. I My life was hard too. Da, 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 da. And look at you, you have a master's degree and I'm just a secretary, you know, and having those conversations with people that will consider me their friend. Right. Mm-hmm. These are the same people that went out and bought this book, these books now and made them yeah. on the, these are the same people. They really didn't get it because they've been so brainwashed. Yeah. You know, people talk about, don't, don't I'm not going to even get started on Hamilton because but she was talking about watching Hamilton one again and going in to read the Federalist papers. She had not read them since college. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she clicked on them. She's like, you know what? These things really were brilliantly written. And I was like, okay, Phyllis. And I clicked on it and I was like, what, whatever, whatever, because racism is brilliant, mm-hmm. isn't it? To have somebody think, to to, to have a whole mindset oh, of yeah. a biased thought, when you see black skin and to have their whole story play out in your head about yeah. who that person is, yeah, that takes some skill. Congratulations. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You know, so just so here, like John Adams, he was a really good writer and, and Alexander Hamilton was a really good, great. Doesn't make them, admi- I'm not going to admire them because they knew how to write. If you that's like that's like admiring somebody who's a really good fighter, you don't you only that's great. But if you're not fighting for the right reasons, right, I'm not going to admire you. So he could have wrote whatever he wanted to, but everything in those Federalist Papers was all about establishing this country that they stole. Yeah. So
0: I'm not. I mean, the one thing I will say for John Adams is, out of our first thirty (laughs) six years as a country. 32 of those years, we had a Virginian who owned slaves in office, except for John Adams in those 36 years.
1: Well, fine.
0: That's the one thing I will say for him. That's the only thing I will say for him.
1: But he still benefited from it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Everybody benefited from it at that time. And, you know, to pretend anything else is idiotic. And I have to have so many... Arguments with so many people on this topic all the time, and
1: because they don't know history, because they were never taught history, and again, that's not their fault.
0: And they think if they read the headlines on some,
1: meme we haven't learned on our lesson Facebook,
0: yet. We haven't learned our lesson,
1: and then yeah. you repost it, and you're like, duh, 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 duh. and like you look like a dumb butt. Read the articles. Yeah, educate yourselves. Watch yeah. a movie from PBS. PBS does a really good job covering stuff. If if you don't want to read books because it's too hard, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but I don't, in the same breath, I also don't judge people or blame people for for being ignorant. It's one thing to be willfully ignorant.
0: Yeah.
1: But some people are like, oh, like, really? Like, okay. Like, they they, they really didn't know. They don't have 12%, Ariel. People who identify as black and his black, or African-American are only 12% of this country. And most of them live in cities. So if you have a whole other population of, of white people living in the suburbs, well, not all white, so 12%, whatever, living in the suburbs who eat with white people, walk, uh, dine with white people, work with white people, all they knew was all this fun stuff and what color they were going to paint their decks. I say that all the time. I'm like, there's there's wars going on all over the world, and people are starving, and all we're worried about is who's what color they're gonna paint their deck, right? But those conversations, even since the murder of George Floyd, those conversations have changed. They have. They, they those have. conversations, even on, even on like local Facebook pages, where people all the time are like, "Hey guys, I have a beehive under my deck. What should I?" Do? You know, now those conversations are like. Does anybody know of any people of color-owned business that I can come get my beehive out? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's at least a positive shift
0: for sure, for sure. Yeah. But um, but it's it's interesting, and I you know I find that you know going back to what you were saying earlier about you know people admiring the brilliance of the Federalist Papers, the idea that people still find so attractive these notions that have been written and crafted beautifully in certain skillful ways really upsets me because then, you know, like I said, this movie is not perfectly crafted. It's not crafted in perfectly skillful ways, but you know what it is? Right. It is substantive in its message Right. And it is a horror movie about the realities of what people are actually fighting to preserve in this country for some stupid reason. Or
1: way of life. Ugh. Your way of life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So no, I don't think it was brilliantly. I think it was I think the words are pretty. If that's what we're, if that's what you're going for. But like I mean even oh my god, we have we have documents ruling documents of this country that still call indigenous people natives like why right. are these things not right. being amended is this why is this not on somebody's desk right i mean i'm sure it is well, nobody's looking at it right like, come on why is the electoral college which allotted it? people
0: based on the three-fifths rule why why is that even a thing why is it still a thing and
1: there's no way like and then again and then when you talk to people who are the opposite of ignorant who are well aware of electoral colleges and a purpose telling you why it's an okay idea. Yeah. Right. Those are the people that, that do piss me off. Yeah. Not the people who are like, Oh, racism. Okay. Yes. Let's, let's talk. It's a whole other thing. Where people are smiling in your face and telling you that we just want to make sure that everybody's treated fairly and nicely when they're not doing that.
0: No, they're not. And the original purpose of the Electoral College has gone by the wayside anyway. So it's like all we're trying to do is perpetuate this myth about this country that was created under racism. So, oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Preserve your way of life. That's, yeah. When he said that, when he was in the tent, walking around, giving his little speech, and that's, you know, that's what they have to do, right? They had to have the speakers and the yellers. And, you know, pumping pumping this toxic ideology into their brains. And when he said that, like preserving our way of life, I'm like, okay. Like no one ever stops to think whether or not that's worth preserving, oppressing people for <laughs> and the thing is in that movie too, they weren't even selling the cotton, right? So it's right, not even right. like it's not even like actually gaining anything. Yeah.
0: It's not like the free labor is for anything but your own psychopathic pleasure basically. And I guess
1: too, when I say it's sick, like the person was sick, I'm just talking about the opposite of healthy. Yeah. So not not like a not a psychiatric diagnosis. It's the opposite of a healthy behavior, it being a sick behavior than mm-hmm. having a sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a good look.
0: And unfortunately sadism is not really actually necessarily correlated with mental illness as much right. as oh, we wish no. it were
1: no you not know, at all so we
0: could other it we can't other it it is inherent in the human race unfortunately and we all have to confront it just like we all have to confront our own privilege our own tendencies toward dehumanizing things that we regard as other for whatever set of reasons. Mm -hmm. And the fact that all of us have sort of a natural schema in our brains that is going to always try to classify things in ways that are going to, at some point, make us think of things differently than as they are. Yeah. And you have to be aware of that, acknowledge that. And do something about it.
1: I don't know. I'm when I go back to 110,000 BC. E, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let you know because I don't know that we are sadistic by nature. You don't think so? I don't. I think it's I think it's capitalism that has made us this way. Mm-hmm. I really do think there's more to being human than this innate, innate, not inherent, innate. Um, abilities to be to to categorize that whole ideology of our ability or our our need to categorize things i think actually talks to a lower level functioning than what we are capable of so yes i acknowledge it it is there but i don't think that is the extent of our capacity uh dr jennifer everhart wrote this book
0: called Biased Mm -hmm. specifically about the neurological processes in the brain and how like the caveman brain evolved to basically allow you to categorize things according to, you know, whether they were likely to be a threat or not. And to other things that, you know, might potentially be construed as dangerous that were different from you.
1: So like your amygdala and your Mm -hmm. hippocampus and the way that it transfers your motor cortex and translates your memory. So if you smell smoke, you know they're the fire. Your eyes look to see where, where the fire is. Um, and I guess it's not really what I was thinking of. More in the sense of um, more s- social bias. Oh, right? abs- social bias is, is an entirely
0: other construct that comes out of the biological process of bias yeah but for whatever set of reasons when we create social bias we're not aware of our own biological bias as we're going okay
1: so right so if i saw even just seeing like a group of white people walking down the street do i feel fear do i perceive safety yeah an issue with my safety okay
0: yes yeah I mean, like I, I can even just tell you for me, I, I don't know if I told you this story before, but I was on the L in Chicago and I happened to get lost uh, trying to get to the Museum of Science and Industry. I mean, I grew up in Chicago. Yeah. I, you know, I, I should theoretically know it pretty well, but I didn't <laughs> actually know where I was going. And so I ended up Uh, getting lost on the L, ending up on a different branch. But it was in the South Side. And uh, I looked around and suddenly it was only Black people around me. And I was the only white person there. And I suddenly started shaking. Like, I could not stop shaking. It's not like anyone was even looking at me. Nobody was being threatening. Nobody was anything. Everybody seemed pretty happy. You're probably like, what's wrong with that white lady? Yeah, and I am like sitting there shaking like a leaf and I'm like, what the hell is going on with me? Why am I shaking? This is really wrong. And what was weird to me is that this wasn't even the first time I had ever been the only one of a certain race in a crowd. Like I had been to countries in Asia. And you were also lost. The only person, but I was lost. And it was like, I'm the only person here of my race, what do I do? And it's like, well, stop being an idiot for one, (laughs) you know? And it, it was, it was really interesting how it was like this innate biological response that just happened. And then I had to kind of reflect on it for a minute and then say, okay, I'll just go ask that guy over there where I am. And then I'll get off and then I'll, Figure out how to get back to where. So, I oh, you know were how. still
1: on the train. Yeah, I was still
0: on the train. train
1: as this is happening. So where does the the, the sadism come in? Yeah, I don't know. Because you were you were talking about human beings being inherently sadistic.
0: Well, I'm not saying that all human beings are.
1: Oh, just some inherently
0: people. sadistic. But I think there is a certain percentage. Oh, yeah. That are
1: I agree. I do agree. Um, So there's actually a whole line of genetic thought about that as well.
0: I mean, I'm not saying that I would ever be the type of person who would suddenly say like, ah, I'm going to go kill everybody. But, you know, that would not be me. Don't ever do it like that. Don't Don't do it like that. Okay. Ah! I'm going to try not to do that. You want to have a little more oomph in your voice, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because no one's going to believe you if you do it like that. No, no. You're they like,
0: have to believe me. Yes, maybe, maybe it's if you're the element go, of surprise.
1: You know, time. if you're gonna go, go hard. If you're gonna go, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't fake the funk. Just do it. Okay.
0: Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> but, but no. Like, uh, I'm sorry, but I was starting to say like that was sort of my experience where I. Felt this, and I suddenly was like, Oh my god, that is what black people feel all the time when they are the only person in a white suburban neighborhood. So,
1: in Hairspray, the remake, that's what Queen Latifah said when the the white mom went to get her daughter. She's like, "Ah, ah, ah," And Queen Latifah said to her, We have more reason to be scared in your neighborhood. Uh huh. Isn't that funny when we think about historically what we know about um, slavery? and how they've taught the society to be afraid of black people? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Like when 12 years a slave when that came out and somebody brought up brought that up like we've been taught that black people are the scary ones, the violent ones. Right, right. And since roots probably the, the truest depiction of enslavement that there's been caught, you know captured on film and at least in a purposeful, purposeful sense, there's other examples, but for people to look at that and say, wow, just wow, look what, look what those slave owners and traders did to and kidnap them. Right. right, right.
0: And that they can then turn around and say, oh, but violence from black people flowing toward white people is the real problem.
1: And when Europe, so when Britain and Belgium first started to infiltrate the continent of Africa in certain countries, and I'm not sure, you know, there might be a lot of hidden information, but from what I'm aware, there was no kidnappings and, and, and enslavement going on. People in Africa were not kidnapping and enslaving the so people oh, that no. came in. No, right? Not before so, they came in. Right. So it's like. But again. Not all white people, right? It wasn't all white people. So we're talking very specifically about people who perpetuate racism and people who believe in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so we go back to the whole exposure to black people. Yeah. We're talking about African-Americans only being 12% of the country ha- right. and they mostly living in cities. If you live in the suburbs of the country, black people are foreign to you. Yeah. I have met people who haven't seen black people since t- till college. Right. Other than TV and movies it's one thing to blame their parents for teaching racism versus versus their parents never had a reason to teach them anything. Yeah. Racism was already there. You don't have to teach it. You have to to anti teach it.
0: Yeah. And this whole conversation that I keep having with people where it's like, Oh, my parents raised me to think everybody was the same. Did they? No, (laughs) no, they didn't. No, they did not. They did not. Because that's not actually the way.
1: It's not, in, it's one thing to say these things, right? Like, so growing up in the 80s, being colorblind was like the catchphrase, right? Right. We don't see color. Yeah, you could raise somebody saying those things, but everything else you do and say right, talks about what you really think about people, human beings.
0: I mean, my parents tried to say that to me and I got upset when they said that to me. Because when my you were younger, when Do I you was realize- very young, my face oh, was wow. red on the right side of my face, it was uh-huh. all red and purple. Oh. and I was like, uh, everybody no. can see my face. You can see my face, you can wow. see that it's red and purple. I, wow, there's no such thing as color blindness. People can oh. see this, I don't want them to pretend they don't see it. This is me this is my identity i assume everybody would feel that way so no that's stupid
1: yeah and so right so you can say these things doesn't mean anything
0: and i said that as a kid and my parents were like uh i don't think they knew how to respond to (laughs) that. they're like we gotta get out of here but like i i love this this conversation i love talking to you this is fun good i'm glad i'm glad I want to thank you so very much Thank you for, for having joining me. me. This was a wonderful conversation and in my opinion, extremely important to have. So no matter what the
1: critics tell you, <laughs> this is still an important movie to watch. It is an important movie to watch. And you have to probably watch it twice. So in the first time, be prepared to be angry. Second time, be happy that you that it's out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Is my opinion.
0: All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Monica. You provide thank so you, much Ariel. insight as always. Thank I you. I hope so. I
1: hope thank so. Thank you.